Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. We've heard it several times these last few weeks uh, about don't be alarmed about the children being in the service. I'm going to give away a little bit of secret here. I'm a retired army chaplain, and we had noisy services often. The children were in the services often. Um, one of my chapel's field artillery ranges were right behind us. So boom, boom, boom in the middle of a service. I was stationed at Fliegerhorse Concern. Do you know what Fliegerhorse means? Airport. Yes, we had an airport right there by the chapel of the airplanes taking off and landing. Um, we had generators outside the chapels and when we were deployed. So the noise in here is not going to shake me, and I hope, I hope it won't distract you either. Uh, I know the kids are here. I don't preach as long. Um, I have pictures, and I have a word that I venture to say many in this congregation has never used in their life and probably won't. And I'll teach it to the youngsters. so listen up. Listen up for this. Uh, now for the good news and the bad news. Reuben preached last week and he said back home they were accustomed to like four and a half hour services. And didn't, didn't we squirm when he said that? Okay, I'll be honest. <clears throat> I'm not like that. I'm accustomed to a 15 or 20 minute sermon and 60 minutes worship service. Where there are cl- there's a clock in every, every chapel because often there's the liturgical service that takes place from, from 8.30 to 9.30 and then from 10.11 is, the, is the Protestant services and the, and the Catholics come in at 11.15. So you don't have these hour and a half worship services. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty short. <laughs> Jay Baptist is trained, three points in a poem. Uh, and at age 60, I, I struggle to change just about anything. I don't change. So I'm, I'm not wanting to change that. The bad news is I can't stand here and give you a wonderful 15 or 20 minute sermon this Sunday if it's going to take Brad 45 minutes to do it next Sunday. So out of loyalty to my brother Brad, and I'm, I'm loyal, I'm going to fill in some of the time and... and won't quite be up here 45 minutes, but we won't be out here for 15 or 20, so don't, don't get too excited. I decided it would be more helpful for you to get to know me a little bit better. I'm Jay Hearn, one of the elders that God uh, uh, and your congregational vote affirmed. We want you to be one of the elders that lead this church. So I thought the time would be better spent telling you a little bit more about me and where I come from. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, I said short version because while I can only preach for 15 or 20 minutes, my friends will tell you, I can talk for hours. And, and I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm going to hit the highlights, and I'm telling you to hit the highlights because there are many other stories where I can see the hand of God clearly, sovereignly guiding my life that we won't talk about today. I never remember not going to church. Let's see if I can. Trifocals are really hard. You know, these guys have these, I don't know if I can do that. I'm in well company, good company when I put that. Um, I never remember not going to church. Um, possibly because my dad was a preacher. That might have had something to do with it. Uh, but I was always involved in church. I, I knew about Jesus at age 12. I, although I'm a Texan and a proud Texan, I lived in New York for a while. And when I was 12, I, I was baptized. 
What, what happens at 12 in the, in the, in the Jewish, uh, Jewish faith? My Jewish friends were bar mitzvah at age 12. My Catholic friends were confirmed in their faith. So it just seemed like a, that was the time for me to get baptized. Um, all during high school, uh, I was involved in church, uh, heard about Jesus, but uh, it was... I was, I was, I don't know about the other people in my church, but I was proud that it didn't affect me the rest of the day, the, the other six days of the week. Uh, I f semi-flunked out of Texas Tech uh, in 1977, enlisted in the Navy. And I, I went to First Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida, after, soon after my basic training. And I didn't go there because um, that, that's the kind of church I grew up in, because I, I thought those people that go to that kind of church, they don't have any fun. But I wanted to meet nice girls. So I, I went to First Baptist Pensacola. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm honest. Um, and I met people that live for the Lord seven days a week. And they still had fun. I, I didn't know that was possible. They had a joy in their lives that, that I didn't know was possible and I didn't have. And I, the, the aroma that those Christians who live for Jesus every day gave off was, was just, just overwhelmed me. And I knew what I knew about Jesus was not a personal faith in Jesus Christ. I just knew of him. And I came to know the Lord in a real way in Pensacola. I was there for about a year and a half because I'm sort of a slow learner. So I, my school took me about a year and a half. And after Pensacola, where I learned about Christian living, I was moved to, to Norfolk, Virginia. And there I got involved in a Baptist church that, that the preaching was serious. They took the word of God very serious. So I, I spent time memorizing, we would memorize whole passage of scripture. Logan, I memorized Psalm 1, was one of the first ones I memorized. Paul, Psalm 129 was, was another one. Memorizing God's word and, then, and the wealth of knowledge uh, from his word was just so exciting to me. Uh, God, I, I knew God had a call on my life. And so in 1980, I went forward on a Sunday night in my church and said, God has called me to, to vocational ministry. I don't know specifically what it is, but I know God wants me to, to make a living out of telling other people about Jesus. So um, I got out of the Navy in 83, went to Baylor University, uh, met the love of my life, which is a whole long other story I could tell you about. And after we graduated from Baylor, we went on to Southwestern Baptist Seminary. And then I pastored a church about an hour and a half from San Antonio after seminary. Uh, I'd been involved in, a, in the Chapman candidacy program a little bit. And so uh, not long after I'd been pastoring that church, the army said, we want you. And so I came on active duty in, in March of 1983. No, 93. See, old people can forget those kind of things. March of 93, and I served in the Army 23 years as, as a chaplain. And we lived in, I lived in Germany three times. I deployed three times. Um, and it was a wonderful experience of, of, of being Jesus to those people that, that often wouldn't come to church. But anytime they had a problem, the commanders would say, go, go talk to the chaplain. Go talk to the chaplain. So what a, what a wonderful opportunity. Another thing that the Army did for me is they sent me to school to get another master's degree. So I have a master's in marriage and family counseling. Because they have on every garrison, and the army people in here need to know this, at every large garrison, they have a guy, a chaplain that's trained as a marriage and family therapist because they handle some of, the, some of the tougher counseling. So I came to Fort Benning almost eight years ago to run the counseling training center here. After, after I got trained 15 years ago, I got, I, got, I got to run the training center out here. I retired. Um, 
And it's a wonderful opportunity to be my age and be retired and get the military retirement. So now we're doing, okay, what does God have for me now? I don't have to earn a living anymore. What does God have for me to do now? Uh, Grant Scarborough and I have been talking years ago about ministering at, at Mercy Med to his staff. So I was still on, 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 what do you call it, terminal leave. And I was already at Mercy Med uh, ministering to his staff. And I, so I, I spent some time at Mercy Med. I, I help out with some of the counseling here. It's just a wonderful opportunity to um, just bloom where I'm planted. And, and as I told somebody this morning, I think it was uh, McKenzie, I've now lived here longer than I've lived any place in my entire life. Which is, which is sad, but it's exciting. I, I mean, it, it's to, to see these bed babies that we have in nursery now running around, it's, it's exciting. It's a, so it's, it's wonderful to be here. Um, and so now you know a little bit more about Jay. I, I guarantee you, there's a lot of more stories, but I won't tell them this morning. <sighs> Goals. Um, the Apostle Paul had a goal that was, goals are an important part of life. Let me, get, let me back a little bit. They're a very, very important part of life. And so at this time of year, many people make resolutions and, and goals, set goals for the coming year. I would like us to look at goals and priorities this morning as we stand at the dawn of, of, of a new year. We all need goals to live by. Much of the boredom and unhappiness of life that leads to depression can be traced back to, to not having a purpose in life. I think I joined the Navy, not because I was depressed, but I didn't have a purpose. I was seeking, what does God have for me in my life? Goals are important because they inspire us and they often show progress along the way. Like the progress reports in school, well, they at least encourage good students and um, showed progress or a lack of progress along the way. Let me give you a short personal example from my past. As, as I said, uh, when, when I was in seminary in Fort Worth, I tried to run about three times a week. I'm looking, at, I'm looking at a real runner here. So I'd run. Fort Worth, Texas is flat. Okay, this, this is Fort Worth, Texas. So I'd run about a mile and a half down my street, turn around and come back. And so that, that was running to me. Well, I told you I, I pastored a church near Kerrville. Kerrville is in the hill country of Texas. Okay, the, the pastor, uh, church I pastored was Sunset Baptist Church in Mountain Home, Texas. They call it Mountain Home for a reason. So our church in Parsons were at the top of a hill. So when I knew that I was going to come on active duty and I knew that I had to do some running, that hill just scared me. There's no way I'm going to learn to run. And, um, but so I, I tried to set, okay, my first goal is to run down the hill. <laughs> it's easier. Run down the hill. So I'd run down the hill and run about a mile and turn around and come back. And I'd stop at the bottom of the hill. <sighs> and I'd walk up to the, to the top of the hill. Okay, this was good. And then I'd set another goal. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run down the hill, turn around, come back and run. See if I can make it halfway up the hill. So I kept running further and further up the hill with these intermediate goals. And before I knew it, I'd reached my goal. When I looked at the problem without setting these goals, it was, it was, it was very intimidating. And, 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 and I, I stuttered like I am now. But once I was able to break it down into intermediate goals, it really was very helpful. The Apostle Paul had, had a goal in his life that was very important to him. His goal was to do the will of God the best that he could. In the passage I'd like us to look at today, Paul must have had the Greek games in mind because he used athletic imagery 
when he speaks of his goal in this letter to the church at Philippi. I, in turn, will use several, several athletic illustrations for my point. Turn with me to Philippians 3. We, we Springer read part of this. We heard earlier where, where Paul talked about the error of boasting in the flesh and how our righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Today I'd like to, the, to preach from the passage that follows, starting in verse 12. So Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for the reminder that I had in sharing my testimony of your hand on my life and the doors that you've opened and the doors that you've closed in all of our lives in the past as our loving Father. Lord, as we look at Philippians 3 now, as we look at the, we stand at the dawn of the new year, we pray that you will speak to us through these words of Paul in the same way that you spoke to his first writers as they unro unrolled the scroll in Philippi and heard these letters. Bless us as we listen to your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul said that there were three things essential to reaching his goal of doing the will of God the best that he could. I would like us to talk about all three of these this morning and then see how we can apply them to our lives too. You must focus your life. Paul didn't say, okay, here's a list of 10 things that I'm going to do. Paul didn't say that. Rather, in verse 13, he says, but one thing I do. Paul didn't desire to be a, a jack of all trades and a master of none. He chose one specific goal and sought to focus his entire energy on achieving that one goal. Let me give you an example. Look around you at all the lights in the room. I mean, except for maybe these two spotlights that, that are to highlight one purpose, you really don't notice the other lights. But they all, maybe some of these back here, but, but all these lights out here, they just sort of shine at, a, at an intensity that sort of blends with everything else, and, it, and it, it makes us a bright room. But if they took one beam of light and focused it very definitely, whatever the word is, like they do with lasers, they do wonderful, uh, Jimmy Brooks does LASIK eye surgery with, with, with lasers. Lasers can do a bunch of things when all that light is focused on one small beam. Paul says you must focus or harness your energy and your life into one goal of Christ-likeness if you're going to attain it. Focus your life. Paul also says we must forget the past. This is a very hard thing for some of us to do. Paul doesn't mean we must forget all the wisdom we learned from the past. Uh, in, in fact, in Paul, in verse 5 through 7, Paul outlines his past in Judaism and what a great Jew he was. Does Paul wish that his experiences in Judaism never took place? Uh, no. In fact, he, 
when we see various places during his ministry where Paul used the wisdom and the knowledge that he learned in Judaism to point out the superiority of Christ. When Paul says we must forget what lies behind, I believe he's saying we can't and, and won't glory in past accomplishments and in and, and, and past achievements. Paul even says that in, in verse 8. As, as in Springer referred to that in his prayer. He counts all these past accomplishments as rubbish or as trash compared to the value of truly knowing Christ. Looking back often distracts us from living in the present. I worked on a farm one summer in West Texas when I was growing up and I, and I loved plowing. I loved to plow because I could sit on the tractor and not work and move. Uh, so sitting on the tractor, I like sitting on that tractor. And I love to turn around and see how I'd done. Okay? Anybody do that when they mow in the lawn maybe or run the tractor? What happens when you turn around? I learned that that causes you to veer off course. After proudly, proudly looking back at the rows that I just plowed, I turned around and my tractor was cattywampus. All right. That's a perfectly good word. That's a perfectly good word. I don't know. Yeah. That many people don't use today. So I asked the, the tech team to put it up. Cattywampus. Crooked. I got, I got a synonym of that. A synonym of cattywampus is topsy-turvy. Another good word that, 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 that we don't use enough in, in the English language. Okay. Uh, where am I in my notes? <laughs> Looking back causes you to get off coast, course, or make your plowed field cattywampus. Looking back also prevents us from obtaining our original goal. And that, in, in plowing, that was a straight field. But that is focusing your life on achieving that one goal. Harold Abrams was one of the fastest men on the earth. He ran in the 1924 Olympics for Great Britain. If you've seen the classic movie Chariots of Fire, you may remember one of the problems that he had. When, Ab when running, Abrams liked to look back to see where the runners behind him were. And that caused him to lose vital seconds. And it also caused him to lose some of his preliminary races. His coaches caught that problem and strongly encouraged him to forget what the other racers were doing behind him and to press on. More on chariots of fire a little bit later. We are all guilty to some extent uh, of, of living in the past. We all remember, and I, I know some of y'all are going to find this hard, and I don't mean, I'm in leadership here, so I, we all remember a church that was better than this in some way. Okay, not... Not with golden donuts, but the, but the donuts we had at Fort Polk were pretty good. Uh, that we all remember something that, that we don't like, that the church back home never did it this way. Um, and, and I must admit, I have that problem too. Uh, but this, cause, <laughs> this, this kind of looking back causes our plows to go crooked, causes us to lose vital seconds in our foot race, but more importantly, causes us to take our focus off our goal of becoming more Christ-like today. We must focus our lives and we must forget the past. Did it ever occur to you what would happen if you took the T off the word forget? I was a communication major at Baylor. I think I came up with this myself. 
you'd have the word forge. We must focus our lives, we must forget the past, and we must forge ahead. Paul said, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul pressed on. This picture is a picture of a runner that's giving their all. They're straining. You see them crossing the finish line. You can see the muscles and the veins in their neck. They're straining. They're giving it all. Forging ahead. Totally focused on the goal of reaching their goal. So we should also strive in obtaining our goal. Texan that I am, I, I, I can't help but use one, to, one Texas illustration in the same way I've, I've used several athletic illustrations in this sermon because I'm such a stellar athlete. Thank you. Thank you. If, there wasn't, if there's not any laughter, I was going to tell people, that's a joke. An area of north of Fort Worth, Texas, where I went to seminary was ranch land back in the 80s. And in 1985, the FAA began to look for an airport that they could, well, they're going to try to relieve the strain on DFW Airport. Okay? So, um, here you see the evidence of a project led by a man who had the ability to not get caught up in his past accomplishments, but to forge ahead with a new goal and dream. The airport is Alliance Airport, and it, with the brain behind it is H. Ross Perot. Perot is a, is a Dallas computer billionaire uh, and philanthropist. He's the founder of the tech company Electronic Data Service Systems, or EDS. Perot accumulated over 10,000 acres north of Fort Worth, undeveloped land up there, hoping his dream would come true. He talked to the city of Fort Worth and got them to sink $70 million into it. He talked to the FAA and got the FAA to sink $48 million into it. He even named the airport Alliance to, 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 to signify the partnership between private organizations like Perot and the FAA and the city of Fort Worth. Perot was able to dream big and had the stamina to see the race to the end. He was able to focus on his goal, forget his past accomplishments that made him a rich man, and forge ahead with Alliance. It's been incredible to see the effect that the Alliance Airport has had on North Fort Worth. I know many of y'all have not heard of that airport. They do a lot of the uh, freight and the overhaul, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on at Alliance Airport, not just passengers, but it pulls all those planes off the DFW airport. So, uh, it's been incredible to see what it's done. The Keller, which is an, uh, a section north of the Loop in Fort Worth, didn't exist before Alliance went in. And now it's a booming section of the airport. So it's, it's fun to see how one person and focused and, and, and hip on their goal can affect those around them and then the effect that it has on the surrounding community. In the days of Jesus, the Pharisees and lawyers were concerned with the goal of keeping every detail of the Old Testament law and additional laws that they invented. There were literally thousands of laws created by the Jews. So they came up to Jesus one day trying to trick him and asked him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven and 38 record Jesus' reply. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment.
Eric Little was a racer from Scotland who also raced for Great Britain in the 1924 Olympics. He raced against Harold Abrams, as I mentioned before in the sermon. God had called Eric to go into foreign missions, but Eric wanted to run in the Olympics before, before, he, before he went to the foreign field. He said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. When I run, I feel his pleasure. Eric ran in the race, and if you remember the, the movie, he was convicted. He was supposed to run on Sundays. That's, that, that was his race, but he would not run on Sunday, so he had to switch to a, to a race that was a distance. And I'm looking at you because you know more run than I do. He switched to a distance that was not comfortable to him, but he did. Still ran it, and he won the, and won the gold. And he went to China for the Lord after that. How can, and I'm aware that anytime you point a finger at people, you got three pointing back at you. Okay, so I'm aware of that. How can you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind as a goal for the upcoming next year here in Columbus? Let's, let's think about some of the possibilities. Priorities. What are, what are your priorities? And are they in proper focus? Time management. Let's squirm a little bit. Are you spending the proper amount of time focused in kingdom business? When I looked over this sermon notes this morning, I remembered a, a convicting sermon I heard of Matt Chandler uh, in the Village Church in Dallas. And he said, every moment you're doing one of three things. You're creating, you're cultivating, or you're consuming. And I, uh, I'm, I'm spending a little more time than I would like to, that I, would, I wouldn't tell you, I wouldn't stand up here in the pulpit and tell you all the time I'm spent consuming this last week. Uh, so creating, cultivating, or consuming. So let's look, at our, let's look at our time management skills a little bit. How could you serve the Lord better through your ministry in this church in 2019? Have you thought about how you could be more involved in this church? God has placed all of us in this church at this time for a reason. And not to be, not to be recipients, but to, be, to, to worship the Lord, to, to grow, to experience, to, to hold bed babies back there one Sunday a month so we don't have to do it as often, so we don't get the pleasure of doing it as often. To help put donuts out there, to help usher um, God may be calling you, uh, Springer mentioned our new community groups, God may be calling you to start a community group in your neighborhood and you, you've just been putting it off. Well, start listening to the Lord. How about a prayer ministry for the congregation? And it's exciting to see that the men's prayer ministry is starting back. What did God place you in this local body to accomplish this next year for his glory? God may be calling you to, to start a, a, a a Bible study or a prayer luncheon at your business? Are you military guys and gals in, in your units, in your day room of your barracks? Like Ross Perot, we need to dream big for the Lord's work here. And like my running, don't be nervous, Karen, this is no, I know it's like, like my running, set little goals. All right, I, I, what one area can I get involved with in, in January? Um, I've, I've sort of taken the lead in helping organize the ministry to Highland Church 
You know, we, we support them and we go over there as community groups and go over there and worship them and serve them food. I guarantee you, if you'll do that once, you'll do it again. Right? Everybody that's been there wants to go back. We get, we get blessed by, by going to Highland and showing them our love. So it, it may be that you can get involved in one little area. Just get involved in children's church. Or, or be an usher. Uh, and, and, and then if you're blessed by that, then, then you can think of something else to add to it. Another goal. Chariots of Fire told us the life story of Eric Little that, that may still be up there. He was up there a minute ago. Eric said, where does the power come from to see the race to its end? He said, from within. I say to you today, within each of our lives as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit of God living, and he is able to accomplish much through our lives if we let go and get out of the way and let him. Eric Little did just that when he ran, and when he went to China for the Lord, where he later died. Eric gave his all for the Lord. This should be our New Year's goal too. But don't get me wrong. We don't earn favor with God through our efforts or through what we do. But we receive favor as an act of grace from a loving father through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Once we become children of God, our desires change. And we, our desire now is to, be, to show our appreciation to the Lord for saving us and for the wonderful life that he's given us by doing these acts of kindness. That we do him by showing him, by giving him all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our minds. And to do this, we must focus our lives, forget the past, and forge ahead. Isaac Watts penned these words around 1707 that still apply today. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Let's sacrificially give our lives away to the Lord in 2019. Let us pray. Lord, those words, Isaac Watt, all those vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. I, I, I realize that I spend a lot, too much of my time consuming. And I pray that in 2019, you'll help me be more about kingdom building and more about your ministry here in Columbus. Lord, I pray for everybody that you brought here this morning. I know our congregation is down. I know we're doing different things, enjoying the, the last weekend uh, of the year. But I pray everyone within the sound of my voice will, will take a look at their, their priorities. Take a look at their schedules. Take a look at their goals. Take a look at what's important in their lives. And that you'll help us to refocus them if it's not you. Lord, any time there's a congregation this size of, 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 of people, I know that there are people here that don't, don't know you personally. I, I went to church for a long time and didn't have a personal relationship with you. I pray that those of us that do know you will give off the aroma that I smelt at, at First Baptist Pensacola and that our, we will radiate Christ to those around us. 
And they will see Jesus in us by our priorities this year. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.